We're going to open cold because I ain't got no theme music yet. Hello, sinners. How you doing? This is the very first episode of my new show for 2024. It's called Sin Every Day, a podcast about movies. I want to get into it by uh, sort of explaining what we're doing here. First of all, thank you for joining me. If you're joining me for the first time, if you've been listening to my shows over the years, thank you so much. My name is Bryce Reed. I've been a podcaster for almost 10 years now in varying capacities and varying subjects. I've had a great time doing it. We're coming up on, we are rather, we've arrived now in 2024. And I have never before done a podcast exclusively about movies. Nor have I ever done a podcast on main feeds that was a one mic show. With this show, I'll be doing both, and I'm super excited to do it finally. So, I want to talk about the whole impetus of this show coming around, what we're going to be doing here every week. It's going to be a blast. I decided to challenge myself in 2024 after looking at my, quite frankly, rookie numbers for 2023, that I would watch 365 movies that I had not seen before in 2024. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful concept to do a one mic weekly show on. I would enter, I would track these movies, I would keep them in my movie diary, and then each week I would come on the show and talk about the movies that I had seen where I'd seen them, how I'd felt about them, and kind of have this parasocial dialogue with you about uh, about this cinematic journey that I'm going on, this cinematic challenge. Now, I didn't realize at the time that it is, in fact, a leap year. So the number is 366 movies that we have to watch this year. And yeah, the concept of the show is I'm going to come on here every week and just talk about the movies that I watch, track our progress on the way to 366 movies. It's going to be really hard, uh, but I think it's going to be fun. It's going to incentivize me at least to watch new movies every week, as many new movies as I can every single week, and uh, to put them down here on the show so that we can track our way all the way to the big 366. I'm so stoked. Um, what this show isn't going to be, it's not going to be a movie news podcast. I don't really want to do that. There are certainly better voices and better minds for that already out there making shows every single week and God bless them. I listen to some of those shows. I love those shows. I don't really want to make that show and I don't really want to travel too far away from the concept of this show. Additionally, I want to keep this one on one mic. I want it to just be you and me and the movies every single week. And I don't really want to include guests every now and then I will mention things that were said by friends of mine who are aware of this journey, fans who interact with me, all of those things. Uh, but, <laughs> but for the most part, it's just going to be me and uh, here talking about the movies and, uh, and enjoying uh, roughly an hour hopefully, of content every week. I 
don't really want the show to go longer than that. I can't imagine doing a show longer than that with just me every week. But I also don't really like it when podcasts go shorter than that. If I'm going through the effort to put a podcast on, I kind of want it to last an hour. That being said, you know, it's my show. I can go as long as I want. You're never going to hear ads on this show. I don't do that shit. I don't like that shit. And uh, it's never going to be something that I do on my podcasts uh, in some sort of uh, desperate ploy for uh, financial solvency through a medium that has been erased to the bottom since the beginning. So uh, I have absolutely no interest in coming on here and interrupting our time together every week to try and sell you me undies or some shit. Um, but you know, if I happen upon products that I think are really cool or whatever that I want to talk about because they helped me in my journey for movies. Yeah. I'll probably talk about them, but I'm not getting paid for this and I never will be, but, uh, but I'm, uh, having a blast, uh, being able to bring this to you every week. Now the rules, I want to talk about the rules for the show. I'm not going to pick movies based on them being brand new movies necessarily. I'm not going to pick movies based on them being old movies. I'm not going to pick movies based on them being classics necessarily. I'm going to pick movies based on what I want to watch for the most part, except for one that we'll get to later. Um, that I mean, that's how we're going to select the movies. The rules, uh, they're pretty simple. It can't be a movie that I've seen before. And uh, outside of that, I mean, pretty much this guy is the limit. I'm pretty excited for that. Genre agnostic. We're going to watch all types of different movies, as you're going to see from the movies that we watched this week. Uh, I want to talk a bit because there is I, I do track everything through Letterboxd. I also have a, a wall full of sticky notes right now with just movie titles and stuff on it. But uh, I want to talk about the rating system because we're going to talk about the five-star rating system as we move through the movies, just so that you have an understanding of the context surrounding the rating system here on the show. Uh, it's a pretty simple rating system, five stars. I don't do half stars. I have the ability to do half stars. I don't. I feel like at that point, you're really splitting hairs, to be honest. Um so let's talk about it. First, one star. Uh, if a movie gets one star, that was a bad movie. That was a movie that I had real trouble getting through. A movie that I found to be a chore to get through and finish. And uh, a movie I did finish because I am under the gun. And at that point, it's a sunk time uh, situation and I have to finish it. Plus, you know, it's just as fun to finish a terrible movie as it is to finish a great one sometimes. Uh, two stars. That's an okay movie. I thought it was fine, but it didn't really do anything that excited me or fell somewhere just below. You know, if someone was like, was it a good movie? I would be like, eh, was it? I'm not really sure. It wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't good. Three stars. That's a good movie. That's a movie that I'm like, yeah, it's a good movie. I don't know if it's a great movie. I don't know if someone came over to my place and they were like, you want to watch something? I, I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, we got to watch this. Have you seen this? You, we got to see this. Uh, but it's a good movie and uh, I enjoyed it. Four stars is a great movie. That's We are sort of getting into recommendation territory as we get to four stars. 
and I, I'd expect people to to uh, to to seek it out because it's fantastic. Uh, and five stars, yeah, that's an amazing movie. That's a, a, an incredible film that got did something for me that I think uh, got something right in a way that I haven't seen somewhere else or whatever. I'm pretty pretty generous when it comes to the stars to be honest like it doesn't take much for me to be like this film's amazing uh but i do have one specific uh caveat one specific rule and that is if a movie emotionally affects me during its runtime and makes it so i come close to having a uh, a a physical emotional reaction and start crying like a little baby during the movie that's an automatic five stars uh, because uh, that's movie magic and I think it should be recognized. Uh, but it's important to note during the duration of us recording this show together over the next year or so, there will be a number of films where I go five stars and you're like five stars for that film, really? And the answer is it made me cry like a little uh, like a little uh, baby boy. So uh, <laughs> that's why it ends up getting a five stars kind of automatically and uh, is added into that club. Um, I, I was trying to think. There was one more thing that I wanted to say before we start talking about movies, which I'm so excited to do. Oh, I'm going to keep sort of adding stuff to this show. Already with the small community that we have, we're going to do more things to sort of grow the community at some point. I'm going to be able to focus more on that stuff. I'm worried about getting this episode up. Uh, primarily to begin with. This show is also going to become a lot more looser as I'm not expected to explain the entire concept of the show at the head of it every week. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm going to add things to the show. People are going to come up with stuff. I've already had some great suggestions um, that uh, are going to be added to the show as we go. So that sort of stuff is, uh, that's exciting to me is sort of figuring out what the show is over the next year in terms of the process and having by the time we finish this show, a completely different show than we started with. So finally, let's get into the movies. This is going to be great. You and me talking about movies every single week, talking about all the movies that I got to watch and uh, had, had a spectacular time doing it this week and having this sort of like goal and uh, writing things down and, uh, selecting what I wanted to do, knowing that I was going to do this show. It was so much fun uh, for me to be on this personal journey with this big lofty goal and thinking about, oh, I got to, you know, I want to try to bank extra movies so that if something comes up and I can't watch one one day, I can do it. Because I, I want to, that's an important distinction to make. Watching 366 movies within a year is a different challenge than watching a movie every day, specifically. So we're going to get to a point where hopefully we're kind of a little bit ahead of the day-to-day -day count. Like this week, seven days in the week. I started on Monday because the year started on Monday. And I ended the week with eight movies. So we're one ahead, technically. But that's good because life happens and there will be days where there just is not time to watch a movie or whatever because of every, uh, other things going on in my life. So I'm making a cognizant effort to kind of get ahead of things 
and to fit in movies where I can and to kind of uh, uh, be aware of the approaching year as it's coming because it is coming. Um, So I watched eight movies this week. We're at number eight of 366. (laughs) The movies I watched this week, Battle Creek Brawl from 1980, Casa de Mi Papa from 2012, Airplane from 1980, Unconquered from 1947, Cloverfield from 2008, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio from 2022, Soul Plane from 2004, and Gangs of New York from 2002. I hadn't seen any of these movies. We're going to start out on the 1st of January, Monday, when I watched Battle Creek Brawl. Now, it's worth noting, though it doesn't count towards the total, the night before I had watched for the very first time The Fisher King, starring... uh, Oh, who who's in that movie? Robin Williams and Kurt Russell. And that was a great movie. Battle Creek Brawl uh, is an interesting film. It stars Jackie Chan. It's at a point in Jackie Chan's career where a lot of voices had kind of seen to a certain extent what he could do. But they wanted to try and fit him into a mold that I don't necessarily think he was ever going to fit into. For people who haven't seen a lot of Jackie Chan movies, Jackie Chan is a genius. Uh, The stuff that he has done for the most part in America, the rush hours and stuff like that, really not a great sampling of what he is, what he's capable of. He is perhaps the greatest action star of all time. I honestly don't even really think it's close. And he's a physical storytelling talent on the level of Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and all of those. He's uh, a phenom. And I could have just as easily done a show where the premise was me watching every Jackie Chan movie. The only problem is I've seen a lot of them at this point. And a lot of them, thankfully, are getting put out on blu-ray and dvd and uh even 4k is now at this point for people to sort of rediscover through companies like 88 films through company golden harvest on their own is putting out stuff as well and uh and i i every time i catch one of those releases in the stores that i don't have for a movie that i don't have i pick it up that's where i got this movie i got it on uh on Blu-ray from 88 Films, this uh, big, beautiful box set that they just put out. And it was a joy to watch on that box. If you love this movie, I recommend picking it up. Uh, But the movie itself is Golden Harvest sort of still basking in the glow of the, at that point, not, uh, you know... I would say recently departed uh, Bruce Lee who, you know, and, and trying desperately to make another one of those to continue breaking movies in the States. And this movie seems like a, a clear effort on their part to try and give Jackie Chan some of that rub 
even though Jackie Chan is not Bruce Lee, he's a different person than Bruce Lee. I've seen, you know, I own the the Criterion box set of Blue, uh, Bruce Lee movies. I've been through the whole thing. I've seen the films. They make different films. They're different characters. Jackie Chan is a silly everyman who does most of his fighting defensively. And uh, Bruce Lee is a kung fu god who, you know, mercs 10 dudes who are standing in a circle around him. It's crazy. It's crazy how different they are. But Golden Harvest was probably somewhat right to assume that they would be seen as similar by a mostly white audience here in the States. So this movie is seemingly made mostly in the States. Everybody speaks English in it, and it takes place in the United States, and it's by a lot of the production and directing team that did Enter the Dragon, which was a huge hit for Bruce Lee before he passed. And so, uh, yeah, it's a clear effort to sort of push his brand in that direction, and you can kind of feel in the movie that it's not a great fit for him. I mean, that's how I felt throughout the movie. I, I, you know, three-star movie. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. Jackie Chan, when he's eventually given the opportunity to make movies in Hong Kong that he's directing or that he's working with Sammo Hung uh, or Yoon Bu, with, eventually puts out movies that I think are incredible. Like maybe the most amazing action movies ever made and will never be touched. And these are movies that were put out 40 years ago at this point. But uh, this movie is not one of those movies. Uh, There are a couple of like fun fight scenes and it's cool that so many characters in this movie are kind of like ridiculous pro wrestling characters. Jackie Chan's character is conscripted by uh, mob fellows to head down to a town in Texas that every year has uh, basically like a fighting tournament. And like, kind of like, um, <laughs> like in Dragon Ball or whatever, you know. And there, and Jackie Chan goes down there to to fight all the dudes and eventually wins the day. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of racism in the movie. Uh, thankfully, it's not painted in like a good light at le- at the very least. There's a lot of people thrown around. Asian slurs in the movie. And thankfully they eventually sort of like get their comeuppance, but yeah, there was a lot of it that I really wasn't expecting, but it's all there. I've also, I've seen this movie. Battle Creek brawl is the name that I've always known it by, but I've also seen it listed. For instance, on letterbox, it's listed as the big brawl. That's the other name that I see it under. I do not know why it's got two titles. It's fairly common for a movie to have more than one titles. The big brawl would, of course, I wouldn't be surprised if that was what the movie was called in some markets, considering it would tie it to the big boss, which was a big hit for Bruce Lee. And again, more just like, let's tie him some way to Bruce Lee because people love Bruce Lee. Uh, so it wouldn't be surprised, I, or I wouldn't be surprised rather, if that was a choice that they had made intentionally. But Battle Creek Brawl... I think is a better movie title (laughs) and it's probably why it exists on the packaging of the, of the Blu-ray disc that I bought Uh, three, three stars for that movie. I thought it was a good, 
movie and uh i i enjoyed my time with it um but i don't you know i don't think it was amazing i'm not here to evangelize the uh the watching experience of battle creek brawl but it is a beautiful box set from 88 films um as always they always do a wonderful job with uh with their sets the next movie i watched i watched it on tuesday the 2nd of january 2024 casa de mi papa from 2012 i got this on a dvd from bull moose music for i think probably three dollars and 69 cents that's what i'm gonna say that's what i'm sticking to uh Casa de Mi Papa is written by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. It's at definitely at the tail. It's 2012. So it's the tail end of that sort of Judd Apatow, Adam McKay, uh, Will Ferrell run of films that just were on fire from Anchorman to... Um, Step Brothers to Talladega Nights and uh you know Walk Hard is kind of in there, although Walk Hard's just John C. Riley doing it with Judd Apatow. So this movie is, but this movie is kind of a break from that. Casa de Mi Papa is filmed entirely in Spanish, and it has some sort of uh the rest of the cast is filled out with uh, Mexican or Hispanic heritage stars of the time, Efren Ramirez, who at that point would have been hot off of um, Napoleon Dynamite, um, and then also would have been in Crank, probably like six years earlier as well, uh, and might have even come back for Crank 2 at that point. I think Crank 2 was 2011, or two, maybe not. Maybe Crank 2 was like 2010. But anyway, uh, he he plays a, a great role in the movie. The movie is a comedy. Uh, a lot of the joke of the movie is that it's Will Ferrell, tall, kind of skinny, fat, white guy, cast amongst all of these Mexican people in a in a like Mexican telenovela movie about at the time telenovelas were very sort of obsessed and that the obsession may still be the case but it's sort of obsessed with uh drug cartel stories and so it's one of those and a lot of the humor comes from sort of playing it straight in the movie which is fun to watch but there definitely are times of because it's Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. There's a lot of times of absurdity. There's a lot of times of shots holding too long on something. People just telling a joke that isn't very funny and then laughing for, you know, three minutes or whatever. Very sort of that era, 2012. So like Family Guy had come back at that point and we were kind of in the spell of making that kind of humor. Now, that being said, I think the movie's actually aged pretty well. It was pretty funny to watch. It was definitely a great $3 DVD buy. Um, I don't think I would want to own it on anything more than that. Like it's kind of a perfect DVD movie. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it and there were some really, you know, funny moments, uh, three stars. I, it's not a revelation. It's not, but, uh, but it is, you know, 
kind of a fun movie to throw on if you have somebody who's open-minded to that sort of thing and would would find it funny that we're sitting there watching Will Ferrell in a Spanish language movie. Um, and to Will Ferrell's credit, I don't know if he speaks fluent Spanish. I don't know if he learned fluent Spanish for the movie. I don't know if he just learned the script and was able to do it because he knew the script because he helped write the script. But uh, he's saying the words. I mean, he's saying the words and he's saying the right words. If you watch his lips through the movie, they didn't cheat a lot of it with ADR. Like they, uh, they had him say the words. And uh, so that's uh, impressive length to go through for kind of a flimsy bit, which is just that you wouldn't expect him to be in a Spanish language film. <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly worth watching. Uh, the next day, that would be the 3rd of January, 2024. And by the way, if I say 2023 at any point during this podcast and you want to hit me up uh, via the various channels that we have to roast me for it, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about any of it. I, I'm i going to say it a lot. I'm probably going to say 2023 well into December of 2024. Uh, because uh, the passage of time is uh, absolutely worn on me, to be honest. I'm like a tumbled stone at this point, uh, given the the way things have gone in this, uh, here in the roaring 20s, as they say. Um, I watched Airplane. I'd never seen Airplane before, 1980s Airplane. Of course, very famous for the wonderfully hilarious drawn poster of a... Uh, airplane all tied up in a knot. Now, my experience with Airplane prior to this movie was only having seen the regular airings of the commercial for the release of this specific DVD, the Don't Call Me Shirley edition DVD, that I bought from Bull Moose Music in the same run as Casa de Mi Papa for, I want to say like $7.13. Is what I bought it for, which is expensive for a DVD. But I said, you know, I've never seen Airplane. I think there are there's a certain generation of people who I would say, I've never seen Airplane. And they would say, you've never seen Airplane? Uh, and I've seen all of the Naked Gun movies. And so I kind of knew what I was getting into uh, on top of having seen the... Uh, the DVD which, uh, advertisement, which they used to play on Comedy Central. Constantly. I mean, constantly. They used to play it almost as much as they would play Super Troopers. And so I, it, you know, there were certain quotes and clips from the movie that I knew by heart from just having seen this commercial like 150 times. And then, you know, the memes from it and stuff like that, too. It's kind of a piece of the culture. Uh, that, you know, that said, I enjoyed the movie. I actually, having watched all of the Naked Gun movies last year, I think the the gags in the Naked Gun movies are funnier than the gags in Airplane, or at least have aged better than the gags in Airplane have. That being said, the movie came out in 1980. It's a comedy. Comedies usually don't hold up that long. You usually got a pretty low shelf life. Airplane aims so broad with a lot of its bits that a lot of them were still pretty funny. Um, and a lot of them are clever enough that they remained funny. And 
if you're going to make a movie like this, this is the way to do it. Now, we're going to talk about Soul Plane later and the contrast between Airplane and Soul Plane. Uh, but my God, you know, hats off to a movie made at this point 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, came out 44 years ago. Uh, and it's a comedy and it's still uh, a spoken word comedy. It's great. Um, I thought it was really funny. Um, and I thought a lot of the bits held up. There's a handful of them that really kind of don't. Um, and that's fine. I was expecting it to be so much worse, to be honest. So four stars for airplane. It's great. It's worth watching. I'm glad that I picked it up on the DVD. It's on the shelf in the main collection. Now it's not a, it's not going anywhere. So, um, yeah, had a blast with airplane. I thought it was great. The morning of the 4th of January, I had I'd taken the day off because I had a, an interview for a new job. And uh, I thought, wow, this is great. I can do this interview and then I can, I got some other errands to run and then I can watch, I can maybe get two movies in today. And we can be ahead of it. So I watched two movies on the fourth. The first one being Unconquered from 1947. Now, Uncon- I, I, again, as I pointed out at the top of the show, I'm going to watch old movies on this show. It's going to happen. I know there are so many people. And trust me, I understand. I have members of my family who are the same way. If it came out before Star Wars, they have a very difficult time getting through it. I get it. I don't have that problem. I, for a, uh, a, a large portion of my senior year in high school became entranced, obsessed with the art of Charlie Chaplin and silent comedy in general. And for that basically whole year, I devoured the, his catalog, his works, uh, I find it very easy to pay attention to a screen for two hours because if you've ever watched silent film before, if you take your eyes off of the screen for five minutes and you come back, you don't know what's going on because <laughs> things have happened without, without them. You know, you're really not given the opportunity to take your eyes off the screen. So I don't have an issue watching old movies. I never have had an issue watching old movies. I'm excited to watch old movies. There's going to be some old movies on the show. So 1947, Unconquered. Why did I watch this movie? This movie directed by Cecil B. DeMille, who I'd never seen a movie by, but is often sort of credited as the godfather of American cinema as just a fantastic early example of a director that that uh, could be singled out, right? It stars Gary Cooper, of course, the um, the strong, silent type, as Tony Soprano would say, uh, Gary Cooper, who I had never seen in a movie before. He's not why I watched the movie. I watched the movie because I saw it on Tubi. Tubi, uh, for those that don't know, a free streaming service that we'll talk more about later um, that has, oh, man. You know what I, I love about Tubi? Tubi actually has some good stuff. It's not, it didn't used to, but now nowadays they actually license some some quality movies. 
it's basically they pick up what all the other streaming services forget about or don't want to spend enough money on. And you can make a, a streaming service out of every other streaming services trash and have it be great. Honestly, there's a mountain of trash on Tubi. There's so much weird shit on Tubi, which is also kind of wonderful. But I've specifically found, you know, like last year I went through, I tried to watch every single Keanu Reeves movie and I'm not done with that challenge yet. That will kind of intertwine with this one as I get the opportunity to do it. But um, I found if you're looking for a specific actor in some cases, Tubi probably has more of their movies than some of these bigger uh, companies do, um, which is wild to me. But uh, but it's it's the experience that I've had both with him and Jackie Chan. More of Jackie Chan stuff is on Tubi than it is on other things. And it's ad supported and. I saw this movie Unconquered on on Tubi and the lead actress in the movie is Paulette Goddard. Now, as I was talking about Charlie Chaplin, Paulette Goddard was uh, or is perhaps most famously um, the co-star of Charlie Chaplin in kind of two of his films that most people would consider his like magnum opuses. Now, basically anything from when he puts out the gold rush in 1925 to when he puts out the great dictator in 1940 uh, are that's sort of considered his, his sort of like golden age and anything in that uh, window is amazing. He goes on this hot run of just great, spectacular, beautiful, uh, artistic, just punk rock works that he puts out that are awesome. And Paulette Goddard was uh, his co-star in Modern Times, which is uh, a comedy, a silent comedy, but it's a silent comedy that sort of examines the realities of living in America during the Great Depression, uh, which came out in 1936. And she's also his co-star in The Great Dictator in 1940, which... um, is a movie he put out in 1940, which openly sort of uh, points a finger at uh, Hitler and kind of warns the world of what a lot of people knew at the time, but what a lot of uh, (laughs) unsavory business types were kind of trying to downplay um, throughout, uh, throughout that situation and what would, you know, become a conflict not long after that anyway. But, so she was uh, his co-star for for both of those movies, and they were married for some time as well. And she was considered by him, and I knew this when I uh, read his autobiography, to be the co-star that he had that he felt sort of most matched his energy or came closest to being a star on the level that he was a star uh, in terms of just, uh, and anyone who knows, I mean, you can Google search Paulette Goddard somebody you point a camera at and it was like, Oh, this person was born to have a camera pointed at them. She's gorgeous, radiant, just a movie star and an old, an old time movie star in the way that you think of like an old time movie star actress. She's beautiful. And a lot of this movie unconquered, uh, 
a lot of the plot centers around her character being beautiful, her character, not to spoil it. And I want to make it clear, like, I'm not going to, with this show, like plot surmise most of these movies. I'll talk about them from here uh, or there. I'll talk about the things that excited me, but um, every now and then I'll sort of talk about a plot because I, I think it's really interesting. This movie was like two hours and 20 minutes long. And it's 1947, which means it's very dry in the way that it's lit and shot and everything like that. All the issues that people have with old movies, they were here in this one. Um, But God, I found the story compelling. She's a lady. She's living in London. Uh, Her brother is attacked. And somewhere during the attack, she ends up killing one of the attackers. She's then sentenced. She can either go to jail. Or she can be an indentured servant in the new world (coughs) for 15 years. And then she will be set free. She's, she decides to go to the new world. This takes place, uh, from what I could tell, it takes place during the time of Western expansion where the British were sort of having issues with the native Americans. And I'm sure they put a specific year on it, but I watched this thing on Tuesday and it's Sunday now. So while she's on the boat, she sort of gets bought and sold. And basically it turns out uh, she, she becomes this sort of back and forth MacGuffin between these two sort of dudes wrapped up in this uh, conflict with uh with the natives and her being sort of bandied back and forth between them in this game of one-upsmanship in a in a surprisingly unsexual nature there's one of them that really wants that there's one of them that really doesn't he's just he just doesn't want the other guy to win because the other guy's gross and shady and and stuff like that and throughout the the movie there's sort of a love story that develops between between that guy and, and, uh, and Paulette Goddard's character. Um, and she's absolutely played to her strengths here. She does such a wonderful job in the movie. And beyond that, like what a perfect casting because, uh, you know, when people, uh, are sort of everywhere she goes in the movie, people are like, Oh wow. She's really, really beautiful. And she, I, she is in every costume in the movie. She's just gorgeous. Um, and it's kind of a blast to, to watch that and kind of a, a wonderful to see that beautiful in a way, you know, and, and treat it, her beauty is treated in a way that like modern movies kind of aren't. It's almost like when you watch rear window, right. By Alfred Hitchcock, which stars Grace Kelly. And if you know, Grace Kelly, you know, she ended up, you know, uh, marrying a prince, right. And you're like, how does one do that? How does one marry a prince? And then you watch Rear Window and you see the way that she looks in Rear Window, and you're like, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that a prince would be like, sure, oh yeah. Um, so, uh, so I watched it for Paulette Goddard because I'd never seen her in anything that she wasn't uh, also with Charlie Chaplin, and I wanted to see her in a movie of her own accord. And the fact that it was Gary Cooper, who I'd never seen before and Cecil B. DeMille, that was stuff I didn't even know until I'd already started the movie. And boy, I had such a great time with this movie. 
I thought it was so good. I understand like there's a, a huge portion of the audience that aren't going to be able to watch this movie because it's old and they don't like old movies and they can't get down with it. And I, I get that and I support that. And I, that's, you know, live your truth. But for those of you that can handle an old movie, if you haven't seen this movie, it was so good. The directing was incredible. And you could see these sort of flashes of like early things that like people were going to copy and stuff like that. And then on top of that, the story was intriguing. If I had one issue with the story, the movie is two hours and 20 minutes long. I think the movie probably could have been an hour and 50 minutes. Um, I think the, the sort of like back and forth between the good guy and the bad guy could have ended about one back and forth earlier. I don't think that it needed that much. I don't think the movie needed to be this long. Uh, there are other movies on the list that we'll talk about uh, being too long. Uh, but uh, but other than that, I thought the movie was really great. And I enjoyed all the time that I had with the characters. Uh, even if, yeah, I mean, by the end of it, I was like, I don't know that it needed to be this much um, to tell the story. But... Anyway, I you know, definitely check it out. Four stars for 1947's Unconquered. Uh, well-deserved legacy as a filmmaker for Cecil B. DeMille. I'm excited to watch more of his movies if I can get my hands on them um, and really explore his stuff because I, I thought it was such a cool time period to be in and such great performances and a wonderful story. So, yeah, I Unconquered. That was rad. But that night, I w- watched... Another movie, I watched Cloverfield from 2008, which has a terrible title. It's a fucking awful title. And I looked up why the title's so awful. I guess this was, uh, the title was, which I I think I knew because, you know, I was alive when this movie sort of came out. And the title of the movie was a working title for the movie. And then he couldn't think of anything better. I don't know how on earth you couldn't have thought of anything better because this title sucks. It's terrible. The movie itself, though, is amazing. I loved watching Cloverfield, mostly because I have, on several occasions recently, been really burned by monster movies. Everybody freaked out when Shin Godzilla came out. And I got Shin Godzilla on Blu-ray, and I watched it. And and I own that Godzilla box set from the Showa era that Criterion put out. And I've watched those movies. And monster movies are always really difficult for me because I watch the movie and about 20 minutes of the movie is super rad. It's so cool. Giant monster destroying buildings. It's fucking awesome. And then <laughs> an hour and 40 minutes of the movie is almost always like government officials arguing about the political and socioeconomic ramifications of the monster attacking. I understand the reason why you would do this in a movie. You're trying to make the political point that government is useless in times of crisis and it's just a bunch of old men sitting around a table. It's not really useful when things come down to the wire. I think there's a way to make that point in a movie in about two minutes. Um, I don't think that it needs to take up an hour and 40 minutes of your runtime and Shin Godzilla, as good as it was suffered from that same issue where once again, like I felt like I was watching 
like the camera was pointed at the wrong people. And I don't really give a fuck about what the political ramifications of a monster of a theoretical monster attack are going to be like, that seems just so who cares to me. Cloverfield got it right in the way that it's very clearly sort of influenced by night of the living dead's approach instead night of the living dead. You're focused on, you know, there's this big zombie situation, but night of the living dead spends no time really telling us how widespread this situation is, what the government's going to do about the situation, all of this stuff. I mean, instead it focuses on like three characters in a cabin and tell, you know, instead shows me what I would do in this situation. I don't really care what the president's going to do about a monster attacking or whatever. I, when I watch a monster movie, I want to feel the hopelessness that the care that the average person would feel. I want to feel like this thing came suddenly. They don't know what to do it. Like I want to be in the moment with them. And the best way to be in the moment is by focusing on some everyday characters and Cloverfield did that. And it was so amazing and refreshing to watch that. Now, do I have issues with the movie? It's, uh, sure. Um, I didn't love some of the casting. Uh, I didn't, I'm not a person who gets motion sickness from shaky cam. So whatever, but uh, I've, uh, you know, I don't know if that the device comes very close to outstaying its welcome by the end of the movie, but especially there's a couple of contrivances where it's like he would, he would clearly have put the camera down by now. Um, But I, you know, they stuck to it. They did the thing. That's fine. I love the movie a lot. Five star movie for me because it's the first time where a monster movie really felt like I wasn't just waiting for the thing to happen, which it feels like most of the time with monster movies, even original Godzilla movies. It feels like I'm just, I'm waiting for the man in the suit. Just show me the fucking man in the suit. That's what I came for. Why are you making me wait this long for the fucking man in the suit? Come on. Um, and so it was so cool to see that, uh, that, you know, my small grievances otherwise, are, are really small in compared to this movie. Uh, I like the movie quite a bit. I'd like to kind of see a newer transfer because I did get this on DVD um, in that run at, uh, at Bull Moose. And I don't know if it's out on 4K yet. I have to assume there's a Blu-ray. But I don't... It might kind of be served by being in 480p on DVD because it's supposed to be a consumer-grade camcorder that the whole thing shot on. So I don't know if it would really be better if I was uh, watching it on uh, on 4K. And I also doubt they did anything more than a 2K DI on it. So I don't know. Kind of, uh, unfortunately, kind of kind of forgotten and mulled over this movie, even though it rules, probably because the title is fucking trash. Um, and that's why nobody remembers it. But uh, I... I really like this movie. I think you should check this movie out. If you have time, uh, if you have the desire to see a monster movie shot down on the ground where they kind of belong instead of up in the ivory towers where they usually are. 
Oh, geez, where are we? We're on Friday now, which Friday would have been the 5th? Yeah, the 5th of January, 2024. I watched Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I walked into Bull Moose Music. Bull Moose Music is a, a, a physical media store that stands directly between where I work and where I live. So I pop in there now and then to fuel my uh, movie collection problem that I have. And they had a copy of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio on 4K from the Criterion Collection. Now, I believe this was a Netflix production on account of even on the Criterion 4K Blu-ray, it starts, it it opens with a Netflix uh, opening, which is very so strange to see on disc. I don't even think there was a Jonas Films opening, which is very strange for a Criterion disc. Um, but I wanted to watch the movie on 4K. This movie, for those that don't know, stop motion animated, uh, stop like sort of modern stop motion animated too. So think closer to like. Coraline or Kubo and the Two Strings or God, what would be another one? Paranorman. If you've ever seen Paranorman. Um, so that style of animation and the movie is uh, gorgeous. Guillermo del Toro, of course, if you don't know, uh, world famous director, huge a uh, number of wonderful films behind him. Shape of Water was his. Pan's Labyrinth was his. Hellboy and Hellboy the Go- Hellboy Two: The Golden Army were both him. Blade Two was Guillermo del Toro. What else? Oh, there's one that I'm missing that I I think is spectacular. Oh, Nightmare Alley, the remake of Nightmare Alley was. Guillermo del Toro, and that movie is spectacular. Um, Guillermo del Toro has a very specific flavor to him, a lot of sort of, sort of body horror type uh, deal. This movie is creatively directed by him. To what extent you can really say he's a director on an animated picture when he's not an animator? I, I mean, I'm sure that there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of input from him, and it's hilarious because the movie's done by Shadow Machine Films, who I think are just called Shadow Machine now. Shadow Machine is a pretty famous, uh, well-known studio for doing this type of animation. I don't think they're the only one. I think there's another studio that does it that did the movies like Coraline and Kubo, and I don't think it's Shadow Machine, although I could be wrong on that. But Shadow Machine kind of started out doing stuff for at least when I became aware of them, they were doing stuff for William street and William street, uh, did Dino Stamatopoulos's moral oral. Uh, they did a bunch of, they, I believe they did a bunch of stuff for robot chicken. Um, it's a stop motion studio. They do stop motion stuff. So if you've seen a stop motion thing in the last, uh, geez, 20 years, there's a pretty good likelihood. It was either shadow machine or it was the other one. And, they did a fantastic job with the film. It's brilliant in 4K. It's an absolutely beautiful 
film and it changes some things about the story to really set it in more of the real world uh the sort of darker tone of everything pinocchio already the disney version is already kind of dark in a lot of places but the sort of darker setting of this one uh helps it feel more like a like an interesting sort of like science fiction story about grief which is a beautiful aspect of the film. But then on top of that, it's sort of set in Germany in the sort of like end of world war one through world war two is uh, when it happens. And there, uh, you know, so like the sequence that happens in the Disney movie where they go to the Island and everyone's turned into donkeys or whatever, that's kind of replaced with this paramilitary thing. Um, that's done this sort of Hitler youth uh, training camp thing, which is, I think, a, really kind of a brilliant change. Uh, and then beyond that, just the way that the movie looks and feels. It's my favorite version of this story that I've seen. Um, the one complaint I could make about the movie, which it's a five-star movie for me. Um, I, I thought it was spectacular and, and there's really nothing I can say to bring this movie down. It's very, very good. I will say there's a couple of songs in the movie. And I think if you're going to adapt a work that's already been adapted with brilliant, wonderful songs, like when you wish upon a star and, uh, I got no strings and songs like that, which Pinocchio fucking has. Uh, you need to punch harder with, if you're going to include songs at all, which I think my answer would have been don't include songs at all. Uh, but if you're going to include songs at all, they need to be better than the songs that are in this movie. And it's crazy. Cause I'm sure that stop motion animating to music is a fucking nightmare. I'm sure it's in a logistically a psychotic nightmare, but I don't think that the songs that they chose were very good. And every time that a song came on and granted there's like two or three songs in the whole movie, which again made it really weird because it's not really like a musical where you, you know, the music comes on kind of early on and you're like, okay, I can get used to this. How this is going to happen regularly or whatever. It's just the songs pop up now and then. And it makes it weird that there's only two or three of them. And also that they're shit. So that was the toughest part of the movie for me, but the rest of it so brilliantly tender, so lovely looked amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I think you can watch it on Netflix. If not that 4k from criterion is amazing. It's full of supplemental features that talk about how they shot the movie. And yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. It's a work, a beautiful, work of art in motion and like all movies are, but this one in particular is one that you should sort out five stars. Fantastic movie Friday. Let me tell you Friday. Oh God. So I watched airplane, right? And I was like, I watched airplane since I watched airplane. And since it's on HBO max, I should sit down and watch 2004's Soul Plane. 
Soul Plane is not the worst movie I've ever seen. Mostly because I've seen Jay and Silent Bob reboot. But, oh my God, it was fucking close, bud. Ugh, rough. From a writing perspective, really, really rough. It was really cool to see certain people that were featured in the movie. You know, Kevin Hart, like a before he was famous, Kevin Hart uh, is the lead character in the movie. Snoop Dogg, every time he's on screen, is laugh out loud, very funny. Uh, but the writing in this movie was so rough. Um, the entire comedy comes from every character on screen being a stereotype, nobody having real depth. Uh, and, oh man, what a nightmare to get through the movie. The plot's absolute nonsense. It just doesn't make sense at all. They kind of openly point out at several points during the movie that the, the plot makes absolutely no sense in it, but I, you know, like I can watch a bad movie that's bad in a fun way. I didn't think this movie was bad in a fun way. I thought it was bad in a difficult to watch way. One star, my first one star on the show, uh, soul plane, really genuinely fucking terrible movie. And, uh, I was, uh, which sucks. Cause I was, I got in there like ready to have like a good fun time, but I felt like the movie not only really didn't have any depth or soul or anything like that. I, f I felt like it was just mean and mean in a way that like, wasn't really founded, um, and mean to everybody regardless. Uh, you know, it wasn't just mean to white people, which I kind of would have been like, yeah, okay. Uh, it was, it was, everybody was a stereotype. Uh, and a lot of it was just really misguided. I don't, I think the movie, I mean, I, I think the movie was probably not very funny at the time, but boy, has it not aged well. Um, and you know, for the, the, <laughs> the movies, Snoop Dogg plays like a, like kind of a small role in the whole movie. I wouldn't call it a cameo, but it's not much bigger than a cameo, but he is the only thing that they show in like all of the graphics for HBO max and stuff like that, because which, yeah, I mean, cause that's why you would watch that movie. It's like, Oh, fucking Snoop Dogg's in this movie. It's called soul plane. I bet it's funny. And then you watch it and you're like, it's not, um, but man, yeah, it was tough. And I was, it sucked. Cause like I got, home from work Friday. And I was like, I'm going to watch two movies today too. And then I'll, I'll be ahead. And I watched soul plane and I didn't want to watch another movie again. Like I honestly dreaded watching a movie today because of the shit time that I had with soul plane on, uh, on Saturday. It wasn't even cause I watched, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio on Friday. So this was Saturday. This was all I watched on Saturday. Cause I watched it first and was like, I can't watch another movie. I fucking want to blow my brains out. So <laughs> it's fucking, uh, it really hurt, man. It sucked. Today, though, I've rebounded. I've refound my faith in continuing this expedition because I sat down and despite the lofty runtime, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. Everyone says it's great. I think I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to watch 2002's Gangs of New York. Bud, what a movie. Oh, man, I had such a great time with this. And Martin Scorsese usually doesn't really do a lot for me. Um, I think a lot of people accuse him of making the same movie over and over again for the last, like, 30 years. Um, 
I think he kind of comes by that honestly. There's a lot, you know, like you really got to love Robert De Niro to really get into his catalog because De Niro's in almost everything that he makes. But De Niro's not in this movie and it's surprisingly not a mob drama set between the 60s and uh, the 2000s. So instead, it's a mob drama uh, (laughs) uh, set kind of at the end of the last century uh, during the Civil War. And it examines, you know, what was going on, you know, because Civil War time, you get a lot of Civil War stories that are taking place where the action is in the Civil War. You know what I mean? But you don't really get a lot of New York during the Civil War stories and, and showing how that affected the immigrant population there, showing that people were kind of stepping off the boat and immediately getting drafted in languages that they didn't really understand necessarily. Um, and then on top of that, there's this revenge tale and this love plot or whatever. If I had to make one uh, sort of criticism of the movie, it's too long. I think it's too long. I think there's too much shit in it. I think uh, an edit to get it down to like... God, what is the runtime on this movie? I can't even remember, but I know that it was long. Pardon me. Two hours and 47 minutes. It's a two hour and 47 minute movie. I, f- I found the, the pacing at times to be pretty brutal, uh, to be honest. Um, whatever. Epic length tale. Every now and then I'll allow a movie to be epic length, especially if it's about what this movie's about and it felt epic throughout the whole thing. But yeah, two hours and 47 minutes. Would it have been a better movie at two hours and 20 minutes? Probably. I it probably would have been. Um, I don't know that it's better for how long it is, but I'm sure that there's an original cut of this movie somewhere. That's five hours long. So two hours and 47 minutes is fine. The movie's great. Daniel Day-Lewis, as always, does a spectacular job. He is just magnetic to watch as an actor. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio does a Leonardo DiCaprio job. It's very good, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, John C. Riley makes an appearance in the movie. Sort of his early uh, showing that, like, he's going to do comedies, but he's also going to do dramatic roles. Uh, and it's a blast every time that he's on screen. It's like, John Shirelli, I fucking love fucking Dewey Cox on the screen. Hell yeah. Um, and the movie has a lot of, you know, kind of interesting things to say about cycle of revenge and destruction and the sort of horrid nature of war and the hard time that it would have been to have lived at that time in history, really not good. But, uh, boy, oh boy. Yeah. Gangs of New York. I had a great time with gangs of New York, five stars for the movie. I considered four stars because the length thing really is really graded on me and the pacing really kind of graded on me at points. But I don't think me giving this movie four stars makes it any worse or less legendary than it is. It's a spectacular movie. It's not going to bring it down. I gave it five stars because uh, I think it's f- it's fucking brilliant. And if someone was like, should I watch Gangs of New York? I would be like, yeah, you absolutely should watch Gangs of New York for sure. 
Uh, set aside a day where you have a lot of time. And don't be afraid to take breaks in order to uh, to get what you need, you know? But uh, All right. My buddy Jay on the STE Discord, the Discord from one of my other shows, I think we're going to end up starting our own Discord for this show as well. But my buddy Jay over there on, on uh, SDE Discord sh- shot me a message and said, you should every week pick your favorite movie that you watch and say, this is, my, this is the best one that I watched so far. And the next week, pick another one and then have them go, put them head to head, be like, which one of these movies did you like more? And have like a title. Uh, uh, like a, a a wrestling title, like a belt for the best movie that you've watched so far this year. I think it's a great idea. The the 365 title and or the 366 title as it is because it is a leap year. I didn't realize that it was a leap year until pretty late into the game this week and had to completely change a lot of the goals and branding around this podcast because it's actually 366 this year. And of course I would choose to do this lofty movie watching goal on the year when it's arbitrarily slightly harder. So I'm watching 366 movies this year. It's the movie 366 title. Um, the 366 title as we're going to call it. And it's a tough one this week. Because I really liked Cloverfield, I really liked Pinocchio, and I really liked Gangs of New York. But you know what? I think Gangs of New York has the 366 title this week. I think that's the winner. I think he's the champ. And I'll tell you why. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, it's a wonderful version of that story. It's beautiful. It's interesting to look at. Gangs of New York is just a more original thing, man. And the performances from Leo and Daniel Day-Lewis are worth worth showing up for on their own. And um, that's wonderful. So definitely Gangs of New York is our 366 champion here on the very first episode of Seeing Every Day, a podcast about movies. And I love that. I love adding things to the show because people suggested them to me. We're going to talk later about ways that you can get in touch with the show, ways that we can build a community around this show. I think, again, we are going to eventually build our own discord, move out from the discords that are attached to my other shows um, so that we have a space for everybody who loves this show and is watching along every week and listening along every week to talk about movies together. I'm so excited to make that happen. Um, but you know, uh, th- well, things can only be done at a certain pace around here. So, um, but another suggestion that I got from uh, a listener to the show, a friend of the show, uh, Phantasm, the king of movies, who I'll talk about several times on the show. This man watched five hundred plus movies last year. The man's a machine. He suggested that we pick a movie every week live on the show. And that everybody listening at home can go and watch it. Now, this shortens our options in terms of access, right? Because not everybody has access to everything. And so there's only a couple of services we can use. And I'm going to focus this thing around Tubi. 
mostly because, again, like I said, Tubi actually has some great stuff to be found, but it also has a lot of weird stuff. And that's mostly what I'm interested in doing on here. Um, weird stuff, kind of like funny novelty stuff like that. You know, that's a lot of what's going to be on here, but we can all watch it together. We can all talk about it. We can all have a great time. And um, I'm not expecting anybody to keep pace with this wild shit that I'm doing. But uh, you can watch the movie with us every week and it'll be great. But it keeps us to a couple of services. We could either use YouTube, we could use Tubi. YouTube, <sighs> YouTube's tough. So we're going to do it with Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming service. You don't even have to have an account. Just download the app and search for the movie. You can find the movie. You can watch the movie along with all of us. And so I put together a wheel and I asked the king of movies, Phantasm, to... Supply me with some titles to put on the wheel. Ten titles. He gave me like four titles and I added the rest. And we're going to every week when we watch a movie, we're going to take it off the wheel and we're going to put something else on based on your suggestions uh, or or what have you. Uh, however, we happen to have happen to come about it. So. Tubi, it's a uh, uh, free service. Go and download it. Watch the movie with us every week and then come back here. We'll spin the wheel again. But we've got them all on a wheel here. Ten titles. Those titles are Death Sport, Tale of Tales, We Are the Flesh, Santa Sangre, Ready to Rumble, How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town, Goon, Time Cop, Forbidden Planet, and The Sisters Brothers. And without further ado, we're going to spin this wheel. We're going to find out what we're watching this week in addition to other titles. But this is the one we're all watching together right on Tubi. Here we go. The movie's Tale of Tales. How exciting. I am going to eventually get a real wheel that we can just write movie titles on and spin in real life here. We used an internet wheel here. Hey, you know, it is what it is. But eventually we're going to have an actual wheel that we can spin on the show. It's going to be great. Every week it's going to be a blast. But the title that was picked by the wheel this week was Tale of Tales on Tubi. So go and watch it. Have fun. We'll be back here next week. We'll talk all about it. It's going to be great. Outside of that, there's a ton of links uh, to get involved in stuff. Links to my Letterboxd. You can follow along. Uh, please be friends with me on Letterboxd. I need more friends on Letterboxd. You can see the movies that I'm watching in real time, the movies that I'm rating in real time. Same as through our uh, Instagram. The Instagram link you can also find in the description. In the description. I'm going to put the email address in the description as well, in case you want to shoot me an email and, uh, maybe pretty soon there will be a discord link in there too. But if you want to, if you want anything pertaining to the show, it's all going to be in the description. I am going to have so much fun producing this show every week. I hope that you have fun sitting along with me and listening to me talk about these movies. Um, but if you don't, then, you know, whatever, it's a personal diary from me on this, uh, trip of, uh, cinematic exploration that we're going on and i uh, i can't wait uh, to get a little bit further so that's where we are eight movies in 
to three to our our journey to three hundred and sixty six titles, and uh, it's going to be a great year. Thank you for joining me. I'll be back next week. Until then, remember, sin every day.